Thank you for listening to the Collective Church Podcast. Collective is a church for the rest of us. That means if you've never been to church, if you walked away from church, or have struggled to find a church home, we were started for you. For more information about Collective and how to join us on a Sunday morning, please head to www.mycollective.church. A few years ago, a New York City transit company lost a bus. The bus and the driver just straight up disappeared. For over a week, they searched before finally finding the driver and the bus in Miami. They were completely okay. It wasn't a hijacking. It wasn't the plot of the movie Speed where he had to stay over 50 miles per hour and he just happened to drive all the way down there. The driver actually said that he just got sick of his family, the cold weather, and the passengers. So instead of daydreaming about driving south, he actually did it. And as soon as the last passenger got off the bus, he went south on 95 and he didn't stop until he made it to the beach. While there, he enjoyed the sun and surf for a week before finally getting caught. Have you ever felt that way? Where you wanted to just drive to Miami and not look back? On a day like today, that's like super easy, right? 60 degrees and rainy after 95 all week. But maybe your marriage feels hopeless and you're frustrated. And no matter what you try, it doesn't seem to fix your communication or your connection with your spouse. So you think, what would happen if I just took off? Maybe parenting is taking its toll. You try your best to discipline and teach, but you find your kids resisting and rebelling. So you think, can I just give up? Maybe it's your job. You spent years in school or working your way up the corporate ladder, hoping to get your dream job. But once you got there, you realized that it wasn't as great as you'd hoped it would be, and it lost its appeal. And so every day you consider just not showing up or walking out on your lunch break and never going back. There are a ton of reasons why people get discouraged and quit. Bills are piling up. Health is failing. People are letting you down. The struggles in life just keep getting harder. People get discouraged as Christians too. Maybe you thought once you got baptized that everything would work out great, that relationships would get better or your finances would be under control or that your addiction would go away. But right now you say that's not happening and you're frustrated. Or maybe you have that one prayer request that you write every single week on your connection card and it's not getting answered and it's taking its toll. You're starting to get frustrated with God. You're pleading with God to answer that one prayer. Maybe spiritual growth isn't happening the way you thought it would. You found a church that you love. You thought your spiritual life was going to turn a corner quickly, but it's taking longer than you had hoped and you feel discouraged. The greatest defeat in the history of college football happened in 1916. Cumberland College was defeated by Georgia Tech 222 to zero. If you don't like football, that's not good, okay? So Cumberland received the opening kickoff and failed to make a first down. After a punt, Georgia Tech scored on their first play. Cumberland got the ball back, then they fumbled on their next play from the line of scrimmage and Georgia Tech took it back for a touchdown. Then Cumberland fumbled again on their next play, and it took Georgia Tech two plays to score their third touchdown. Cumberland then lost nine yards on their next possession, and Georgia Tech scored a fourth touchdown on another two-play drive. It was 63-0 to zero after the first quarter and 126-0 to zero at halftime. Sometimes it feels like we are Cumberland College and life is Georgia Tech. Right? We get tired of being knocked down again and again and again. Every time we get started, we get stopped. Every time we try to move forward, something happens. Every time we have the ball, we seem to fumble. And sometimes life feels that way. And this is the final week of our Crash the Chatterbox series. And in this series, we've posted one question every single week. Will you listen to the adversary or the advocate? The adversary is the most common name used to describe Satan in the Bible. 
And Jesus calls Satan the father of lies, and his goal is to kill, steal, and destroy. He is the adversary. The advocate is a word that Jesus uses to describe his spirit, who he promises will come live inside those who put their faith in Jesus and are baptized. The advocate is a supporter, a backer, a champion. And so who will you listen to, the adversary or the advocate? Today we're finishing up this series by talking about what to do when you're discouraged. When the chatterbox says, what's the point? When the chatterbox says, just give up. When the chatterbox says, don't pick yourself back up. And to do this, we're going to look in the life of Paul. And Paul, who wrote the majority of the New Testament, had every reason to be discouraged. In 2 Corinthians 11, he actually details all the bad things that have happened to him. He was shipwrecked. He was dragged into the center of a city, and he was stoned. He was whipped. He was in prison. He was opposed by people of his own race and opposed by people of different races. He faced all these different kinds of opposition, near-death experiences, spiritual discouragement. But that at the end of his life, he writes, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have remained faithful. And so how does Paul, in spite of facing multiple near-death experiences, stress, discouragement, all of it, how does Paul get to a place where he says that he has finished the race, that he fought the good fight, and that he's proud of how he finished? In 2 Corinthians, Paul actually writes a section on how we can combat discouragement. And Paul teaches us how we can silence the chatterbox that chirps in our ears and discourages us from living the life that God wants us to live. And so there are three things that we can learn from what Paul writes. And the first thing is this, never give up. Never give up. 2 Corinthians 4, Paul writes, Therefore, since God in his mercy has given us this new day, we never give up. When Paul says this new way, he's actually talking about a calling or a ministry. He's talking about goals. He's saying that because God has called us as people to seek and save lost people, we don't give up. We have a greater purpose. We have a greater calling. We have a greater mission in our life to love Jesus and show other people that love. And he's saying because of this new way, we never give up. Paul knew that his calling in life was to share the good news of Jesus, the good news that Jesus lived a perfect life, died on a cross, was buried in a tomb, and three days later resurrected from the dead. And Paul knew that was worth fighting for. He knew he had to share the gospel, the good news, with as many people as possible. Now, I'm going to go out on a limb here, but I think there were times when Paul probably didn't want to go to prison. I could be crazy, but I think there were times when he didn't want to be whipped. I think there were times when he didn't want to stand on trial to justify his religion or his following of Jesus. I think there were times when he didn't want to be ridiculed. I think there were times when he didn't want to be shipwrecked, but he didn't quit. He had a calling to bring the gospel to the whole world. In fact, it was a burden that he felt. It was this, this tension that he felt in his heart. But when Paul writes, we never give up, he's actually letting everyone know that there are going to be times in your life when you get knocked down. There are going to be times in your life when you want to throw in the towel. There are going to be times in your life when you want to walk away. When the chatterbox is getting you to question everything and ask what's the point, you never give up. So my least favorite sport is soccer. Um, which some of you might be upset about that. Don't care. I hate it. Uh, I think running for a long time is really stupid. Uh, I just don't get it. I think it's weird that you play a whole sport where you can't really use your hands. I don't, like, I have them. I should be throwing and catching. I know goalies do, okay? Like, but for the most part, you just kind of run. And so I don't get it. But the main reason why I don't like soccer is because, at least in professional soccer, because of how dramatic it is when players get bumped, when they get grazed, like, gently nudged. Right? Because I truly believe the worst thing in sports is when a soccer player gets gently tapped and they fall to the ground like they got drilled by a car and they like grab their ankle, their knee, or like their ear, whatever they can grab, and they make that face and they roll around a bunch and they do it for like five minutes, right? And then these guys like run off the sideline. 
I guess are doctors. They seem like just dudes from the stands. And they go and they like spray this magic cold spray. You guys, if you watch the World Cup, you know what this is. They spray this magic cold spray and all of a sudden they're like, yep, I'm good. And they start running again. Like, I, I hate that. And I think when Paul's writing, like one of the things that, that for me connects is that you can't go through life acting like a soccer player. You can't. You can't fall on the ground and roll around every time you get bumped. Life isn't like that. Life is a fight. It's UFC. It's boxing. It's bloody. It hurts. There are times when it will take all of the mental, physical, and spiritual strength that you have. And we know we're going to get knocked down in life. But you have to get back up. Jesus says, in this world, there will be trouble. And Paul says it like this in 2 Corinthians. He says, we are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. And this is good. We get beat up. That's a reality. But we don't get destroyed. And Paul isn't writing this hypothetically. It isn't one of those situations where Paul is really good at writing encouraging quotes, but never has experienced anything of his own. Check this out. In Acts 14, Paul goes to the city of Lystra to preach about Jesus. And when he goes there, it actually brings an uproar. Religion was, was, is a very sensitive topic, and people are pissed. And so they do what irrational people do, and they try to kill him. And so what they do is they actually stone Paul, and they drag him out of town because they thought he was dead. And so you have to imagine how beat up he was to think that he was dead enough to bring him outside the city. And then this happens in Acts 14, verse 20. It says, but after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. Here's how I translate verse 20. Beast mode. You left me for dead. I'm back. And I mean, if I'm Paul and I go to preach the gospel to a group of people, if I preach it to you all and you try to kill me and leave me within an inch of my life, I'm leaving. I'm going to start a church somewhere else. I'm going to head out of town. And I will think with clear conscience that I can stand before God and say that I did everything I could, that I preached the good news as much as I could to that city, that they weren't interested. That's on them. I'm out of here. But that's not what Paul did. He goes back into the town. He says, you tried to kill me, but I'm not dead yet. You're going to have to try harder than that. So in your life, you will get knocked down. People will disappoint you. You will suffer. The church will frustrate you sometimes. You will get burned. You will doubt. The question is, will you get back up? Because if you do, here's what will happen. People will see Jesus through you. They will see grace through you. They will see hope through you. They'll see forgiveness through you. They will see that life is hard, but Jesus is good. Paul continues to write, through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. And Paul says, we're gonna go through suffering. It's not just gonna be mental, we're gonna feel it. We're gonna feel it in a way that people will see it, right? You will see that suffering. But Paul did more than endure problems, he actually used them. And don't you think in the next chapter in the story of Acts, he actually leaves Lystra, he heads to Derby. Don't you think when he reaches Derby and they can see his lacerations and they can see his bruising and he shares that he was just beat within an inch of his life, but just got back up because what Jesus offers is that good. Don't you think those people would have listened to him? He's saying it's that important. It's that powerful. It's worth the pain. It's worth the suffering. It's worth even death. Don't you think they would listen more? Because I know I would. Wouldn't you? And here's what that tells us. When you go through that trial, when you get knocked down, when you face the most trying circumstances of your life, even while you are in it, and especially when you're on the other side of it, other people are watching. Because they know if that you can have hope, 
They want what you've got. If through the years of miscarriages and infertility, you still have hope. If through the pain of a divorce and a broken marriage, you still have faith. If through the frustrations of a dead end job, you still have joy. If through the pain of addiction, you still have purpose. People will see how you're living and they will say, I want that. I want that. Better yet, they'll see that and they'll say, I I need that. And so you will get knocked down, but how you handle your trials can be the difference between the people in your life knowing you follow Jesus and them seeing the grace and truth of Jesus. The second key to overcoming discouragement is that it's not about you. It's not about you. And I know that stings a little bit, right? Like we don't wanna hear that because when we are discouraged, when we are beat down, we are thinking about giving up, it certainly feels like it's all about us, right? My trials, my problems, my pain, my suffering, but it's not about you. Paul didn't let discouragement take him out because he was convinced that he wasn't just fighting for himself. Paul knew that he was fighting for other people. He writes, so we live in the face of death, but this has resulted in eternal life for you. This has resulted in eternal life for you. He endured suffering, not just for the sake of suffering. He did it so that other other people could experience eternal life. He did it so that other people could hear about God who loves them, a God who sent his child to live a perfect life and was crucified to pay a debt that our sin creates. Paul endured physical and emotional and spiritual beatings so that others could have life. Paul also writes, we know that God who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus and present us to himself together with you. Paul's certain that God had raised Jesus from the dead. He was also certain that anyone who put their faith in Jesus and was baptized would be raised by that same power. So Paul wasn't going to quit even though there was opposition, even though he saw it coming, even though he experienced it in his past. He writes, all of this is for your benefit. As God's grace reaches more and more people, there will be great thanksgiving and God will receive more and more glory. See, we grow a concern for other people and that motivates us not to quit. A teacher may say that I'm worn out and needs to take a vacation, but he gets back in the classroom because he knows his students need what he has. A spouse may say that marriage is hard and things don't seem to be getting any better, but they continue to go to counseling, continue to pray for their spouse, continue to show unconditional love because they know that fighting for their marriage is what's best for their family. A Christian business owner gets discouraged because everyone else is getting ahead by cheating and lying, but he remembers the example he is to others and he won't quit and he'll lead with integrity. Team members here at this church who serve at Collective every single Sunday might be worn out after a long week, but they showed up this morning in the rain before 7 a.m. to help set up this church so other people could experience the grace and truth of Jesus. It's not about you. Because if it is about you, ultimately, just quit, right? If you feel that way, just throw in the towel. Give in to the adversary and let discouragement knock you out. But the reality is it's not about you. And here's why. Because God wants to use you to make an impact beyond yourself, And we get tunnel vision when we think our life is just about us, but God wants you to look up and see the ripples in your life and it's making beyond you and to the other people in your life. That's why Peter says, we never give up. He says, though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every single day. We don't give up. The third key to overcoming discouragement is to focus on eternity. Out of desperation, people quit. They quit their jobs, they quit their marriages, they quit living how their conscience tells them, they start chasing some fantasy life. But Paul says, let's be honest, outwardly, we're wasting away. Paul understood that reality, we all understand that reality. As soon as I hit 30, I was like, I'm slowly dying. My body is just not taking the same art. We get that, right? Like we feel that way. Outwardly, we are wasting away. But he says, inwardly, we are being renewed every day. And so we don't quit because our focus isn't on our body, but our spirit. 
And so instead of developing our body, we develop our soul. Do you know who understands that the best? Older people. People who have lived a lot of life. There's a conversation that I have on a regular basis where someone who is older than I am will come and they'll say, I love collective, I love this community, I love worship, I just love everything about this church, but I'm older than most people here. Is this a place for me? Can I come here? Am I going to fit in here? And here's what I say every single time, and if you're one of those people that think that way, here's what I want you to know. We need you. We need you. People who are younger need your example. The people that I respect the most, the older they have gotten, the more of life they have lived, the better perspective that they have because they recognize some things that they used to get stressed out about in the grand scheme of things weren't really worth getting stressed out about. Those same people also realize that the things they didn't focus on when they were younger, they really should have paid more attention to. And here's the thing. The people in this church are are in their 20s and 30s, which ends up being most people here, but they don't recognize that maybe things are going to work out. They don't think they can get through this pain. They've never navigated the situation. And so if you've lived a lot of life, if you've been following Jesus for a long time, if you have experience, this church needs you. They don't think they're too cool for you. They just want help. They just want to go to someone who can say, I've been there before and I might not have all the answers for you, but I can walk alongside you. You should speak into their lives. You should be an example because they're listening and this church needs you. One more thing about this. I'm not just talking to the people who are older at Collective, who have their lives all together and have everything perfect, because honestly, nobody here would say that that's them. In fact, if you've made a lot of mistakes, you're probably more qualified to speak into people's lives. Maybe you are divorced, but what if you're the best person to speak into someone's marriage because they are struggling, and you can say, here's what I did, and here are the results. Maybe your adult children don't follow Jesus or didn't turn out the way you had hoped. What if you're the best person to talk to someone who's completely stressed out about young kids? Maybe you spent years stressing about finances, spending without discipline, and being selfish. What if you're the best person to teach someone how to be generous and how to manage money well? You have experience and wisdom where you can say, here's some things that don't really matter that much, and here's some things you should pay attention to. And so we realize collective is the opposite of most churches. Most churches are dominated by older people, so younger people won't get involved. And our church just isn't that way. It's the opposite. I think our average age here is like late 20s, early 30s. But what I'm saying is this, no matter what age you are, whether you're in your 20s, your 30s, you have a lot of life experience, don't let your age stand in the way of you getting involved in this church. Because our church will suffer if you are not involved. And that's true if you're 64. That's true if you're 34. That's true if you're 14. Paul continues to write, so we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we, we see, we now will, <laughs> the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. We have this tendency to look at the physical world and think this is the real world. This is the most important world. And we think that the spiritual world is unreal, unattainable, far from us. And Paul says that we have that backwards. He says that the physical world is temporary, that one day there will be a new heaven and a new earth, but the spiritual world is what's going to last forever. And we need to be reminded that we need to focus on eternity because it isn't about the troubles you see now. It isn't about the pain you feel now. It isn't about the discouragement you're experiencing now because the things that discourage us now are small in the light of eternity with God. So when I feel discouraged and I think, what's the point? That leads me to think I should just give up. And some of you have been there and some of you are there right now in certain aspects of your life and you've thought, I can't stay faithful in my marriage. Or you've thought, I can't be a person of character. Or you've thought, I can't do what God has asked me to do. I can't keep picking myself back up again. And ultimately, all discouragement comes back to our belief in God. Because if there is no God, then I can't. 
But if there is a God who raised the dead, if there is a God who died for my sin, if there's a God who promises to give me strength for today and hope for tomorrow, if there's a God who says, if you are tired and worn out, I will give you rest. If there's a God who comforts and redeems and strengthens, then I can. Because then it's not me drumming up enough strength on my own to get through another day. It's the power that overcame death that keeps me going into eternity. And the reason why I believe there is a God like that is because of Jesus. Because Jesus said, I'm going to die and I'm gonna come back three days later. And he did. He did. That's why we can read what Paul went through and endured so that other people could know that. If Paul didn't experience that for himself, if he didn't see it for himself, he wasn't there with Jesus himself. If he didn't have that experience with Jesus, why would he do that? Why would he then tell other people to do that if it didn't happen? And the reality is we know it did and that's why we can have that confidence. And the whole point of this series, and you've heard me say it at least 30 times, if you follow us on social media, it's been up there equal amount of times. It's to listen to the advocate rather than the adversary. And so I wanna finish up by talking to two groups of people and you will fit into one of these two groups no matter who you are. The first group I wanna talk to is those of you who have the advocate. You have given your life to Jesus. At some point in your life, there was a moment probably when you were baptized and you said to Jesus, I want you to forgive my sin moment by moment and bring me to eternity. You said, I want you to be the leader today and every day for the rest of my life. And Jesus promised that when you do that, the Holy Spirit, the advocate enters your life. You have the advocate, but I have a warning for you. You can get to a point where you don't hear him anymore. In fact, you can ignore his voice for so long that you say that he's not even real. Erwin McManus, an author and preacher, once shared this story. When his son was in middle school, he went to a week of church camp. And halfway through the week, Erwin got a call about Aaron. Aaron had gotten into a fist fight, and he just beat the crap out of some other kid while he was there. And the camp said they actually told Aaron, if you apologize, if you reconcile, you can come back. But Aaron refused. And so Erwin was completely confused because this is out of character for his kid. And he thought, something has to be going on. What's the bigger issue? So he drove to the camp, and he met up with his son in the cabin where he was staying. And he asked Aaron what happened, but Aaron said he didn't want to talk about it. And so Aaron asked again, Aaron, this is completely out of character. What's going on? Something triggered this. And finally, Erwin asked enough that Aaron shared what happened. He explained that the kid he beat up had said something bad about his mom. And Erwin's first thought was, that's my boy. But he told Aaron, in spite of that, you can't settle things this way. You can't just beat people up. You need to apologize and work this out. But Aaron refused and said that he would rather go home. And so he made Aaron pack up his stuff and they started a long walk down the dirt path to the car. And as they walk, Aaron began to complain and whine. Aaron told him, I'll drive you home, but I'm not carrying your stuff. And so when Aaron couldn't pull his suitcase anymore, he stopped and sat down on the ground. He's covered in sweat. Tears are streaming down his face. And Aaron sat down next to him. And after a moment of silence, he asked him this question. He said, Aaron, do you hear a voice right now? Yeah. He said, Aaron, what's the, what's the voice saying that I should stay here and work it out? Aaron, what do you think that voice is? God. Said, Aaron, what are you going to do? He said, I'm going home. <laughs> but Aaron said, listen, you're old enough to make this decision. I will take you home if you want. He said, but son, I need you to know something that if you ignore that voice and you do not do what it says, the next time it will be quieter. Then the next time it will be softer still until eventually you won't hear that voice any longer. And then one day when you're in your 20s or 30s, you'll be like the dozens or hundreds of people who come to our church and say, why do you all believe this fairy tale? God isn't real. You say that God speaks, that's a joke. And the reason is that at one point God spoke to them, but they chose to ignore it. 
They chose to ignore that soft whisper and that gentle nudge until they couldn't feel the nudge and they wouldn't hear the whisper. It wasn't that God wasn't speaking. It was that they chose to ignore it for so long that they couldn't hear the voice anymore. He said, Aaron, don't be that person. And so I want to warn those of you today who have given your life to Jesus at some point, you can quench the voice of the advocate and silence it. You can. But if you listen to that voice, if you feed that voice, if you obey that voice, it will grow louder and your life will become in sync with that voice. And one day, many years from now, many decades from now, a younger person will come to you and say, how can I be like you? How can I be free from insecurity? How can I not be afraid? How can I not be weighed down by shame? How can I be humble and confident and secure and on purpose like you? And your answer will be very simple. You will say, listen and obey. And that's it. If you've given your life to Jesus at some point, but you can't hear that voice anymore, the way you hear it again is the same thing. You listen and obey. Just listen and obey. Here's the thing. Some of you don't have the advocate Not like you had it and you stopped listening to it, so now you can't hear it anymore. Some of you have just never had it. And Jesus introduces the advocate in his final speech to his disciples. And here's what he says in in the book of John. He says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. He continues, he says, but when the Father sends the advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I have told you. But I'll send you the advocate, the spirit of truth, and he will come to you from the Father and will testify all about me. Later, Peter preaches the very first sermon and he says, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. He's saying, for the gift of the advocate. You make Jesus the leader and forgiver in your life. Why? So you can have your sins forgiven, so you can have grace, so you can spend eternity with God, but also so that you can have the advocate not just be with you, but live inside of you. And so we spent the last four weeks learning how we can escape the lies of insecurity and fear and shame and discouragement. We escape them by listening to the advocate instead of the adversary. But one thing I don't want you to do, please, do not view this series as some cute little self-help thing that if I do everything that's tweetable, I'll be okay. That's not what it is. Please understand that the point of this series is to listen to the advocate in your life. You can have him and not listen to him, but you can't listen to him if you don't have him. And so I appeal to you, if you are one of those people that doesn't hear that voice, you've never given your life to Jesus, I appeal to you, give your life to Jesus. Give your life to Jesus. He gave his life for you. He wants to free you from the lies that you've been listening to. The chatterbox isn't going away for the rest of your life. This series is not about how to eliminate it completely because Satan won't stop. The adversary won't stop. But give your life to Jesus because don't you want to have the advocate who can tell you the truth? Repent, which means turn away from your life, turn away from sin, turn away from listening to your adversary. Be baptized. If you're ready to do that, check off baptism on your connection card. Come find me after service because this church wants nothing more than to help you take that step, to celebrate that with you, to help you move in that direction. Give your life to Jesus and then you will spend the rest of your life listening to the advocate who will tell you that you are made in his image, that he thinks you are good, that your value comes from him, that you don't need to ask what if, that you don't need to carry the weight of shame around with you and you can get back into that fight and you can pick yourself up because Jesus says he's already won. Here's how I want to wrap up this series. There's a story in the Old Testament about a young boy named Samuel who was raised by a priest named Eli. 
And one day when Samuel was about 12 or 13 years old, he actually hears the voice of God. So if you're in middle school, you don't have to wait till you're 20, 30, 40, whatever, to hear the voice of God. You can start doing that right now. And Samuel is a great example of that. And so Samuel is in the tabernacle, which is a fancy name for a tent of God. And this was because they didn't really have a temple at the time where priests would do their priestly duties. And one of the things in the tent was this thing called the lamp of God. And what uh, Samuel's job was to stay in that tent through the night as the lamp would burn out. And so he's sleeping in the tent of God one night when he hears a voice, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel gets up, goes to Eli and asks, okay, what do you need? And they said, I didn't call you, go back to bed. So he lays down and goes back to sleep. Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel gets up and goes to Eli again, you called me. And Eli says again, hey, I didn't call you, go back to bed. Samuel lays down again, and again he hears someone whispering his name. So he goes back to Eli, and Eli finally realizes what's going on. Eli tells Samuel, you aren't hearing my voice, you're hearing the voice of God. He said, God is calling you, answer him. So Samuel goes back and lays down and he hears it again, Samuel, Samuel. And here's what Samuel says. He says, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And Samuel begins a trajectory in his life that will never change. A few chapters later in the Bible, it says that the Lord was with Samuel as he grew up and God let none of his words fall to the ground. And here's what that means. It means that Samuel's life was so enmeshed with listening to the voice of the Lord and doing what God had said that everybody in the entire nation of Israel knew if we listen to Samuel, we're basically listening to God. If we watch Samuel, it's like we're watching how God wants us to live. Don't you want that? Don't you want to feel that way? Don't you want to have that in your life, to have so much confidence in the calling that God has put into your life and the healing that God has given you and the grace that God has given you that your whole life reflects what Jesus wants from you? I think God is whispering to you. Today is your first time he's whispering to you. If today is your 50th time at Collective, God is whispering to you. And maybe for some of you, it's a whisper of comfort. He's saying that it's gonna be okay. I'm gonna get you through this. Just lean on me, be patient with yourself. But the reality is for a lot of us, God is whispering to, to ask us to do something that you just don't wanna do. The thing that God told Samuel to do was deliver a message that he didn't want to deliver, but he did it. He set a pattern in his life that no matter what God told him to do, no matter how hard it was, no matter how much pain, no matter how much suffering, he was going to do it. And so the question as we end this series is this, will you listen and obey? Will you listen and obey? God is speaking to you, will you respond? Let's pray. God, thank you so much that um, that you're our advocate. God, that you fight for us, that you give us value, that you give us an identity. God, that ultimately um, we don't have to rely on ourselves for any of those things. God, I pray today as people struggle to hear that voice and maybe they once heard it or, or they've never heard it, God, ultimately today could be a moment where they take that step and they say, okay, I need to hear this voice again. I need to listen and obey. God, because we know that you, you promise us life and you promise us hope and you promise us purpose and you show us love. But God, ultimately, a lot of us don't feel that way because we've been silencing you for a really long time. God, help us be like Samuel. Help us approach you with, with open hands and an open heart and say, oh, speak, Lord, we're listening. God, we thank you and we love you and pray these things in your name. Amen.